fascinated, uh, enthralled with, um, uh, in love with, um, <laughs> with, with this whole idea of stature. Uh, you see it uh, in various places. Uh, you think about any commercial that you've seen. There's, they don't do ugly people on commercials, right? I mean, that's just the truth. Um, you think of the magazines that are in the checkout line as uh, you check out at your favorite grocery store or other place. Uh, they don't put ugly people on the covers of magazines. That is the truth. Um, you think about uh, the movies uh, that they show, uh, uh, you know, the movies that are out this weekend to kick off summer, that horrible remake, Baywatch, apparently is terrible. I hope you don't go see it, but it's all about pretty people. I mean, it's just, we are enthralled with stature. Um, it, we don't have ugly celebrities. Some of our heroes may not be as attractive, but our celebrities, the ones that we really worship, uh, they're, they're, they're not ugly. They're, we, are, we are in love with stature. Um, and part of the problem with that, and this is kind of where we're headed today, part of the problem with that is that stature is so superficial. It is like paper mache. Do you remember making that in elementary art class? Slap that stuff on, glue it all together, let it dry, right? And then you walk around with whatever thing that you made. You take it home to your mom. You're like, look, mom. Mom's like, that's so, what, what is that? You know, and kind of have that moment and inevitably big brother, big sister, somebody would come along and they go, oh, look, right, right through it. Why? Because it's paper mache. It's superficial. It can look something like beautiful on the outside, but inside it's hollow. And that's really the issue um, with stature. Um, hidden underneath stature are some things. It doesn't necessarily have to be that, but stature can hide um, these things. And I want to look at this story in 1 Samuel 15 and 16 today um, as to kind of what it hides and then what an authentic uh, uh, experience looks like instead and then just have some observations. Just a brief history here. Um, uh, Samuel is the prophet. We're reading about him, uh, his story, uh, his writings. Samuel is the prophet of God. Uh, he has anointed Saul to be the king of Israel. Saul is the king, and he's kind of working through his early administration, trying to figure some things out, fumbles, stumbles, does all sorts of crazy stuff. And today we're picking that up a little bit. Um, in, in the early part of chapter 15, God specifically speaks through Samuel to Saul and says, hey, there's some people of Amalek or the Amalekites. Uh, their king is Agag, and he's a bad dude, and they're all bad people. They got to go. They were, uh, um, they were enemies of Israel. They are enemies of God, and they are not doing good in the world. They got to go. So you need to go down there and make war. And listen, the, God, the command of God was wipe them out. Don't leave anybody left. Wipe them out. Be done with the Amalekites. And that's kind of where uh, we pick up the story. And I'll just do a little tour guiding today through this uh, chapter 15 in particular. Uh, let, let's start in, in verse 6. <clears throat> Excuse me. Then Saul uh, said to the Kenites who were living there kind of in, next to the Amalekites, Go, depart, go down from among the Amalekites, lest I destroy you with them. For you showed kindness to all the people of Israel when they came up out of Egypt. So the Kenites departed from among the Amalekites. Verse 7. And Saul defeated the Amalekites from Havilah as far as Shur, which is east of Egypt. And he took Agag, the king of the Amalekites, alive. And devoted to destruction all the people with the edge of the sword. But Saul 
And the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep and of the oxen and of the fattened calves and the lambs and all that was good and would not utterly destroy them. All that was despised and worthless, they devoted to destruction. Um, One of the problems with stature is it can hide some things. As I said, one of the things it can hide is arrogance. If, if you're a person of stature, you know a person of stature, the, one of the things that it can hide underneath that is arrogance. In particular, in Saul's case, um, here's what he did. He left the king alive, and he left the best of the animals alive. He was going to do something with them. We'll look at it in just a second. But the truth of the matter is, is that God said to uh, destroy them all, and he left them alive. Why did he do that? Because there are times when, in your life and in my life, not unlike Saul, where we think we know better than what God has commanded. Nobody said amen. So I'm going to back that up and try that one more time. Just here I go. There are times, no, you, you don't want to amen this one, but, right? Maybe ouch, but not amen. One of the things that's true about Saul, and one of the lessons we need to hear this morning because it's true about us, is that there are times when we think we know better than God. That is, that is arrogance at its core. Um, last night, um, we had... Uh, uh, kids were running around. One of the things that came out was a tape measure. They were measuring stuff. One of our kids was measuring stuff, measuring stuff, measuring stuff. Um, it came to the part where they're measuring, hey, how wide's your chest? How long's your arm? How, you know, uh, around is your thigh? What's the circumference of your thigh? And then they started measuring your head. How wide's your head? How tall is your head? Then this one was my favorite. Hey, dad, how thick is your head? And the answer is pretty thick, like soul, like us, all of us. We have these moments where we think that we know better than what God has commanded. Our way is better than what God has commanded. And here's what I want to say to you today. This is so important to hear that anytime we choose selective obedience, what we are choosing is disobedience. Selective obedience church family, is disobedience, even if we convince ourselves otherwise. Why did Saul keep the best of the oxen and the best of the sheep and keep, keep Agag alive? Um, uh, he wanted, he says, to go make a sacrifice. He was going to bring and make this big worship sacrifice to God and skip down to verse 22. Look at what Samuel says to that. And Samuel said, has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? And what's the obvious answer there? No. Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to listen than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of divination or witchcraft, and presumption or arrogance is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, Saul, he has also rejected you from being king. Boom. Listen. There's this arrogance that goes along, uh, that can be hidden under stature, and it shapes itself, it expresses itself, it, it gives itself in this kind of selective obedience. And anytime we are selectively obedient, we are disobedient to God. Continuing on in the story, verse 10. The, Lord, the word of the Lord came to Samuel, I regret that I've made Saul king, for he's turned back from following me and has not performed my commandments. Samuel was angry. He cried out to the Lord all night. Verse 12, and Samuel rose early in the morning uh, to meet Saul, and it was told to Samuel, Saul came to Carmel, and behold, he set up a monument for himself. 
uh, okay, that's a problem. Uh, and turned and passed on and went on to Gilgal. And in verse 13, and Samuel came to Saul <clears throat> and said to him, uh, blessed be you uh, to the Lord. I performed the commandment of the Lord. Now Samuel's not going to let that fly. Look at verse 14. Um, and Samuel said, what then is the bleeding of sheep in my ears and the lowing of the oxen that I hear? Oh, you've done everything you were supposed to do? Strangely, I hear cows mooing. Huh? Hmm. How is, how'd, that, how'd that happen? Verse 15, and said, uh, Saul said, they have brought them uh, from the Amalekites. Who's they? Who's he talking about? What? For the people spared the best of the sheep and of the oxen. Um, uh, to sacrifice to the Lord your God, and the rest we um, have devoted to destruction. So he's, here's one of the things that can, that can, doesn't have to, but can hide under stature. And not only arrogance, but also this, this deflecting or this blame shifting. Hey, I'm not really to blame here. I mean, it's really, it's the people uh, who did this. And the people of stature use that as a strategy because they're of stature. They expect to be believed. That's the thing. But Samuel is, is not going to let that slide. And he calls Saul out on that. And so he even says, in, look in verse um, uh, uh, down in verse 21, Paul, uh, excuse me, Saul says this again, but the people took of the spoil of sheep and oxen and the best of the things devoted to destruction to sacrifice to the Lord your God at Gilgal. Stature can hide blame shifting. Saul deflected. Why? Because he thought that he would be believed. And church family, I say that to say this, that if you're a person of stature or know those uh, who are. Listen, one of those strategies, this deflection or this blame shifting, is the opposite of the biblical response. The biblical response is to take responsibility. See, God's, God will always continue to punch you right in the chest like this until you take responsibility. He's not going to let you up until you take responsibility because when we take responsibility, then we're dealing honestly with God if we're consistently shoving it off on the people, on those others. And by the way, who was responsible for the people? Saul was, the king. So anytime you keep you know, shove it off, that kind of thing, God's just going to keep poking. He's just going to keep poking. He's going to say, hey, listen, we're not going to talk about them. We're going to talk about you, and that's the issue. Taking responsibility is a lost art that we need to recover. And in, in our... In our culture, it's never somebody's fault. Just ask them. Not my fault. That's a, stature can hide that. Look at verse 17. Uh, let's pick up in verse 16. Uh, then Samuel said to Saul, stop. <laughs> it's like talking to his kid. Stop. I will tell you what the Lord said to me this night. And he said to him, so speak. Samuel said, though you are little in your own eyes, are you not the head of the tribes of Israel? The Lord anointed you king over Israel. Stature can also hide latent insecurity. If, if, they, if, you, if you are a person of stature or you're presenting yourself as a person of stature, one of the things that it can hide is this insecurity that just sticks with you. And you may try to shove it off or put it off or put it over here, but it just kind of comes back, creeps back on you. It just kind of keeps growing on you, this latent insecurity. And in Saul's particular instance, his externals outpaced his internals. That's really the thing. Uh, he's little in his own eyes. But aren't you the head of the tribes of Israel? That's what he's saying, this insecurity. Here's the great thing, though. God, when he sees our weakness and he sees our insecurity, he has this amazing way of taking his finger and putting it right on it. Right there. Uh, 
You're little in your own eyes. Wait, wait, wait. Can we talk about something else? No, little in your own eyes. He has a way of dealing with that. And church family, listen to me. If you're in that place today, that's not God trying to be mean. That's God trying to be helpful. He is doing what God does because he's dealing with what he has to deal with. If your insecurity is latent and it is hiding underneath something else, you're projecting some image, but it's hiding underneath there. God has a way and it is grace to you. It is mercy to you. It is his love to you for him to put his finger on that. Why? Because he doesn't want, as in Saul's case, he doesn't want your external stuff to outpace your internal character. Why? Because there will come a point when the weight of all the stuff that's on the outside will crush everything that's on the inside. In Saul's case, he probably kept the king alive, Agag the king, he probably kept him alive because he wanted him to parade him as a war trophy in front of all of his people so that he could do what? So that he would have more stature. It's not what we're going to be. Not, we don't need to be those kind of people. Last thing in particular here, um, after uh, Samuel confronted Saul, look at verse 24. Saul said to Samuel, uh, I, I have sinned, for I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord and your words because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. Um, skip down, if you will, to verse 30. Uh, then he said, I've sinned, yet honor me now before the elders of my people and before Israel and return with me that I may bow before the Lord your God. Stature can also hide the fear of man. Do we have any pleasers in here along with me? Anybody a pleaser? You don't have to fess up if you don't want to. I'll just... Um, this, this, is, uh, this is the temptation for us. This is the point of sin um, for us, is living um, with this whole idea of the fear of man. What did he say? Uh, because I feared the people. Uh, listen, I, I want to be okay before the people. And here's how that expresses itself. It, it, it expresses itself in a disregard for God. Hey, I feared the people and didn't obey your word. And it, it expresses itself in, in a uh, desire for human praise. That's, a, that's what he says in verse 30. Hey, come back with me so the elders will think that we're okay. Saul couldn't see through the cloud of the fear of man in order to do the right thing. The Bible describes this later. David's own son describes this later in Proverbs 29 like this. It says, the fear of man lays a snare. It's a trap. And don't think like, Oh no, I'm in trap. Think like bear trap, like <laughs> the fear of man lays a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. There are times when um, we can't get past what others think, be it our friends. We can't get past what our friends think in order to see the right thing and then do the right thing. We can't get past what our bosses think in order to see the right thing and do the right thing. We can't get past maybe what our kids think in order to see or do the right thing, or what our parents think in order to see or do the right thing. The fear of man lays a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. That is the expression, uh, that is, excuse me, that, that is the uh, way some of the things that stature can hide. The biggest problem with stature, though, is not necessarily the things that it can hide because those things eventually will get found out. They never um, get hidden forever. The biggest, biggest problem with stature is that it substitutes itself um, for uh, and, the dis and then distracts us from what should be our focus. 
It substitutes itself for and then distracts us from what should be our focus. So, uh, and what, what is that? It's the state of our heart. So the story continues on. Um, Saul, uh, as Samuel goes back with Saul, and he's like, look, man, this is not a good thing. Um, he drags Agag, the king, along with him, um, and then he takes him out in front of all the elders of Israel and said, this is what y'all should have done in the first place. And the Bible says, everybody who's younger in here and into horror movies will love this, the Bible says Samuel hacked Agag to pieces. Ugh. Then God says, okay, now go to Bethlehem. And the elders of Bethlehem, when they hear Samuel's coming, they run out to him like, hey, man, are you coming in peace? Why? Because he just hacked the king to pieces, right? I mean, yes, 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 I'm coming in peace. And that's what we're going to pick up in verse 4 of chapter 16. Excuse me, verse 5 of chapter 16. Uh, and he said, yes, peaceably. That's, he's answering. I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. And he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. Because God had said, hey, you need to go to the house of Jesse because it's from there that the king is going to come. Look at verse 6. And when they came, he looked on Eliab and thought, surely the Lord's anointed is before him. Verse 7. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature because I have rejected him for the Lord sees not as man sees man looks on the outward appearance but the Lord looks on the heart the biggest problem with stature is that it substitutes itself for and distracts us from what God is concentrating on what God is focused on and that is the heart Samuel shows up and I Strangely encouraged that it's true of Samuel too. Um, but Samuel shows up and he's like, here comes Eliab. That dude has got to be the king. I mean, look at that guy. Big, tough, strong, oldest. God's like, no, 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 no. Uh-uh. You can't substitute big, tough, strong, oldest for a man who's after my own heart. The rest of the text goes something like this. He calls in his other kids, calls in his other sons, calls in his other sons. God's like, nope, 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 nope. Finally, all the sons are done. And Samuel's like, God sent me here to anoint one of your kids as king. You got any more sons? Jesse's like, huh, one, two, three, one, two. Yeah, oh yeah. Hey, David's out there in the fields. That's right, that's right. Jesse was so distracted with Samuel coming Samuel was distracted by the appearance of the boys, right? But Jesse was so distracted with Samuel coming, he forgot that he had another kid. None of you have ever left your kids anywhere, right? Chick-fil-A playground or elsewhere, right? So I, anytime we do this, it, it, it distracts us and substitutes itself for what our focus should be on, and that is the state of our hearts. Um, David comes in from the fields, and Samuel anoints him king. Uh, and and I, I say that to point this out, that there are so many times in our lives where um, we trust our eyes more than we trust God. And he continually points us to the state of our hearts. You want to see where God is working? Look at the state of your heart. You want to see where God needs to work? Look at the state of your heart. Yes, circumstances, but listen, circumstances are easy for God to fix. It's the state of our hearts. That's where he really wants to work, and that's where uh, the kingdom comes. So all of that is true of Samuel. It's true of Jesse. It's certainly um, true of us. 
So the story continues on. David's a good-looking guy, ruddy and handsome, it says. He's anointed king. Um, and then uh, Saul, uh, flip uh, in my page. I had to turn the page. This is uh, chapter 16, verse 14. Now the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul. And a harmful spirit from the Lord tormented him. Nobody knows really what happened here or what's going on, except that uh, uh, Saul became a mess spiritually, relationally, emotionally, physically. He just became an absolute wreck. Verse 15, and Saul's servant said, Behold, now a harmful spirit from God is tormenting you. Let our God, excuse me, let our Lord now command your servants who are before you to seek out a man who's skillful in playing the lyre. And when the harmful spirit from God is upon you, he will play it, the little harp there, and he will, uh, and you will be well. So Saul said to his servants, Provide for me a man who can play well and bring him to me. Verse 18 is where I want to stop for a minute. One of the young men answered, Behold, I have seen a son of Jesse, the Bethlehemite who is skillful in playing, and then look how he describes David. A man of valor, a man of war, prudent in speech, and a man of good presence, and the Lord is with him. A man of valor. Somewhere, um, if you will, between uh, uh, moxie and fortitude. Somewhere in that. In other words, he had some swagger with him, but he didn't have a lot of attitude that went with that. He was just confident about who God had made him to be. He knew that he was enough in God's sight. He knew that he had been an anointed king. Um, and he was a man of valor based upon that, who, uh, based upon who God had made him to be. He was a man of war. Not that he was a particular warrior. It's just that um, he, was a, he was a person who was assertive, not passive. He was a person who was active, who wasn't just going to sit by. Listen, passivity, particularly among men, men, listen to me. Passivity, particularly among men, is a, it is a curse upon our land these days. You're not going to become a man of war sitting on the couch or sitting at Starbucks. You got to get out and you got to do something. Okay, you got to. That's the thing. A man of war. He was prudent in speech. In other words, he knew the power of words and of communication. He knew what his son would write about later in Proverbs 18, that death and life are in the power of the tongue. He was a man of good presence. In other words, people wanted to be around him, which is ironic because where did he spend a vast majority of his time growing up? Alone, in the fields, which for every extrovert in here, Sometimes isolation can be your friend. Now, all the introverts are like, amen, brother, preset, yes, yes. Sometimes isolation can be your friend. Because there are things that happen there that won't necessarily happen other. And, and lastly, the Lord was with David. Now, remember what happened in verse 14? The Spirit of the Lord left Saul. Got up on out of there. But the Lord was with David. And because he was with David, David knew that he would fulfill, as Psalm 138 says, we read it while ago, we prayed it while ago, we sang it while ago, that the Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. Your steadfast love, O Lord, endures forever. Do not then forsake uh, the work of your hands. Here's a question for you to just ponder for a moment. If God promised you success or health or that relationship or whatever it was, if he promised you to fulfill his purpose for you, but listen, but you didn't have his presence with you, would you take it? See, the Lord was with him. The Lord was with him. Sometimes I wonder if you and I are tempted to take what God gives without taking God along too. 
Yes, God, thank you for that. I'll just take it and I'll just, thanks. Versus, God, I want you more than I want anything else. The Lord is with him. And because of that, because the Lord is with him, the Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. Sometimes I think, I'll speak for me, maybe not you. Sometimes I think I want his purpose fulfilled and whether or not he comes along. Your steadfast love, O Lord, endures forever. Do not forsake the work of your hands. So let me just close with these three observations about the life, this, this portion of the life of David. Number one, uh, there's, there's power in music. Um, Paul, uh, excuse me, Saul, he, he, um, he really wanted a guy to come play. His servants wanted somebody to come play. There, there's power in music. And listen, church family, that's why we sing as a church. I don't know if you know that or not, but that's one of the reasons we do. We don't do it because we've always done it. We, we do it because there's power. Um, there's power in music. And uh, uh, the Proverbs picked this up again, th- this verse from uh, Proverbs 25. Whoever sings songs to a heavy heart. Just pause right there. Did anybody come in with a heavy heart? Whoever sings songs to a heavy heart is like one who takes off a garment on a cold day. Now, we have about four of those in this section of Texas. So I just, but have you ever walked outside and you didn't dress like, I mean, you walked out and you went, whoa, 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 a little bit more brisk. Just got a little, whoa. That's what it's like. Somebody comes in with a heavy heart. The church sings songs. and They're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Or like vinegar on soda. That's why we sing. That's why it's important for you to sing. You think, well, you don't want me to sing. Yes, we want you to sing. Uh, the people around me don't want me to sing. Yes, they do. They need you to sing because there's something more than vocal happening. There's something spiritual that's happening. And what is happening? It, well, it, it's like a, a heavy heart who comes in who then just gets this blast of fresh air or vinegar on soda. That's why we sing. It's good, church family, to open up your mouths and sing. Every uh, Sunday during these... Um, these, this series on David, we're going to have a psalm that we stop and, and interact with. Why? Because these are songs that, that David sung. It's, there's power in music. Let me just pan the camera back just a touch here quickly. Um, some of you are thinking, that's good that there's power in music. I'm not that guy. I'm not that girl. That's fine. It doesn't matter what your thing is. For, for David, that was his thing. Um, but, but everybody's got a skill that can be and needs to be developed. So what's your thing? I like working with my hands. I like da-da-da. I like that. Whatever it is, just do that. Whatever, whatever your skill is, um, just get after it. But whatever, whatever it is, work at it with all of your heart. Do it because there's power that gets uh, uh, released in that. I think that's important to note. Second thing, second observation is that humility is often expressed in the waiting. Can we look some more? Just read some more for a minute. Verse 19. Now, we read verse 18 describing who David was. Verse 19, therefore Saul sent messengers to Jesse and said, send me David, your son, and then read the last part of the phrase. What's it say? Who's with the sheep. This is just a confession. If I'm David, I'm looking at dad saying, hey dad, I still got oil in my hair from when Samuel anointed me. I ain't going back out there. I'm going to be the king, yo. Send the other guy. Send that big brother out there. He's just sitting around. Send him. I'm going to be the king. What did he do instead? He got anointed with oil. You're going to be the next king? Uh, all right. Cool. Let's go take care of the sheep because they need to be taken care of. 
Humility is often expressed and sometimes even learned in the waiting. When Saul called for David, David was back with the sheep. I point that out because God is not in a hurry. He will take as much time as is necessary to shape your heart into what he wants it to be so that you're ready for the assignment that he has for you. Then, when you're ready, he takes and he places you in that arena. He places you in that place so that you can, uh, so that you can learn. Why? Because it's often in the little things and in the lonely places that we prove ourselves capable of much, much bigger things. Humility is often expressed in waiting. I know that's difficult for me. I can only imagine it's difficult for some other folks in here. And I wonder if that's God's word for you today. Last observation. There's power of music. Whatever your skill is, work that. Humility is often expressed in waiting. And thirdly, um, use whatever skill you have then to humbly serve. So David comes. He brings some gifts. Look up down in verse 23. Um, uh, and whenever the harmful spirit from God was upon Saul, David took the lyre and played it with his hand. So Saul was refreshed and was well, and the harmful spirit departed from him. Can I just ask this question? If you're David and you know you're going to be the next king and this guy's freaking out, are you going to, if it's me, I may just let him freak out. But what, what did David do? Now, God's put me here for this reason. So let's play. Let's play. Let's try to soothe this as much as possible. Use your skills to serve humbly. David even served the person that he was going uh, to replace. Um, and, and God was there even then. Even then, God was still at work. God was putting David in the place that he was in order to learn leadership, to learn politics, uh, uh, to, to prepare him for running the kingdom. You don't just move from the sheep fields uh, uh, to the throne room. God has to prepare you for that. And so what does he do? He put him in that place so he could learn. And while he was there, David says, use your skills to serve humbly. I say that to say this. Some of you are at a place where you feel like I'm just waiting and waiting and waiting. Wherever you are, you Use your skills to serve humbly because there's a, there's a really, really great chance that God is using that time, that season, whatever it is, uh, to prepare you for what he has next. Use your skills to serve humbly. God's given you stuff to do, and he's teaching you things and shaping your heart, so use them um, to serve humbly. Let's pray together.